Got a little misty-eyed there. Wow. I know I'm not the only one. Um, side note. Uh, this week I had a chance to connect with uh, a new couple in our church. They've been coming here, I think, like a month. And I said, hey, how's your experience been? And, uh, and she said, it's I'm like impersonating her, doing my best. It's amazing. They do all right? Yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, awesome? Elaborate? She's like, she said, it's like every single week, the people we're talking to are not asking us surface level questions. They're like telling us what God is doing in their life and what God is teaching them and, 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 and where Christ is leading them. And she's like, and then, I, and then I look around and like people are like praying for each other. They're not saying like, I'll pray for you. Like they're literally praying for one another. Um, and I just want to say thank you. I, I, this is the church that we want to be. Amen. For so many of you here, Jesus has, he's changed your life. He's just changed your life. And we have been called to share that story with one another. And Jesus is alive, which means that Jesus is like actively involved in your life. I hope that he is. Jesus is just constantly teaching me and leading me and correcting me and sanctifying me. And I hope he is for you too. And we were meant to share that with one another. We were meant to pray for one another. And so I just want to say thank you. And friends, let's just keep that up. Any new people who come here, um, I, I hope maybe, this, maybe the second thing out of your mouth other than my name is fill in the blank. It might be, well, what's God doing in your life? Here's what God's doing in mine. That's not in my sermon notes. Guys, what a season we are in. Children, kids, thank you for joining us in service again this morning. Um, we are trying to make this a season of personal and family worship. It's why we have these cards here. Um, and we're really trying to make the most of it. Parents, it's pretty neat that your kids get to see you worship, get to see you take notes, get to see you with your Bible open. Um, and it's neat maybe the kids are doing the same thing too. And so it's a unique season for us, but I believe that God is using it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Um, the, the sermon title this morning is Digital Distraction and Renewing Your Mind. Kind of an interesting sermon title, and I'll get to that. Kind of an interesting topic, considering that this sermon series we're in is called Spiritual Rhythms, and hopefully your digital use is not technically a spiritual rhythm. But let me start with this. Some of you already know these statistics. You maybe need to hear them again. Um, I'm sure that you are below the average here, but it's worth just knowing where the baseline is for the world right now. The average American spends two hours and 22 minutes a day on social media. The average American spends 5.4 hours a day on their phone. I know that's not you. Um, 75% of Americans sleep next to their phone. 90% of Americans check their phone immediately upon waking. How about this one? This is uh, a study done by Microsoft. 
Microsoft found that um, 77% of people answered yes to this question. When nothing is occupying my attention, I reach for my phone. I can't help but tell this. We live in a house that my dad built. In fact, um, uh, he lived in it. I lived in it when I was a little kid. And in our master bathroom, there's like all of these electrical outlets, and three of them are just like they're capped. And I'm like, what's behind these? And I, I unscrew one of the caps, and I've got my dad on FaceTime. I'm like, Dad, what is this? Oh, oh, it's, it's a phone jack. Remember that? Like, there's a phone. And so there was a phone in the bathroom right next to the toilet. And, and I'm just like, come on, Dad. And you laugh. You laugh. But 75% of Americans, and I'm sure this is not you at all, 75% of Americans bring a phone into the bathroom too. Just saying. It's not just our phones, right? The average American watches four and a half hours of TV a day. Now, let me ask you, how much of your time gets eaten up by your phone, social media, email, watching TV, hitting the 20-minute news cycle? How much? Now, now, let me just be crystal clear. There, there is nothing wrong with these phones. I'm actually using it to record this message. Um, I use it to talk to many of you, text many of you. Like, listen, there is a place for um, the digital world to be. We, you, some of you are watching online. Praise God. There's people who've never even been to our church, and they're watching online. So in no way am I saying that we need to throw um, the phones out, the TV out, or such. But what I am saying is that there's got to be a line in which our digital world becomes a distraction. It becomes an addiction. And that's kind of where I'm going here. Why is this important? What, what is this doing? And I think that it's doing at least two things. It's probably doing a hundred more. But let me just list two things. It's compromising our mental health and it is conforming our minds to the pattern of this world. Studies are showing that literally social media use and stress levels have a one-to-one correlation. Literally one-to-one. That means the more social media you use, always your anxiety goes up. It's shaping our identity. It's shaping our value. It's shaping our behaviors. If you haven't seen the documentary, the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, worth watching. There's a quote in it that says this. We are training and conditioning. Two important words. Training and conditioning a whole new generation of people and ourselves that when we are uncomfortable or lonely or uncertain or afraid, we have a digital pacifier for ourselves. The second thing it might be doing to us, it's distracting us from being present and living for what matters most. Andrew Sullivan, he wrote this article in The Atlantic. He's not even a believer. He, he is um, just a secular writer. He wrote this article for The Atlantic. It became pretty famous, and he pretty much just talks about what our phones and what our digital use is doing to us. And he has a little part in this article where he talks about the church. And he says this, the greatest threat to the church is distraction. 
Or how about Ephesians 5? I almost preached the whole sermon on this. I'll try not to preach the whole sermon on this right here. Chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Walk is just another way to talk about the way that you live. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. The days are evil. I wonder if you believe that. If you don't, watch the Super Bowl commercials and see how many times you have to turn off the volume or turn the channel if you've got young kids there. Or you just don't watch it. My son would not have that. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So today's sermon. Why am I preaching a sermon on digital distraction and renewing your mind? Because this is not a spiritual discipline. (laughs) I sure hope not. Two quick reasons. The first is this. Digital distraction and addiction might just be the greatest threat to your spiritual growth and your spiritual rhythms. I mean, I just gave you the numbers, and I'm sure that you are not the average on any of those. But let's just say that you watch two hours of TV a day. That's less than half. Let's just say you're on social media one hour a day. That's, that's more than half. If you are spending two, three, four hours a day with this and consuming this, And man, you are so faithful. You are in the word for 10, 15 minutes a day. Just tell me how you're going to be shaped and molded. Just tell me what kind of effect that's going to have on your heart and on your mind. Now, kids, here's the deal. This sermon is just much for you as it is for our adults, at least my children. Um... Because we've got Netflix, we've got Amazon Prime. And we just have to understand it's doing something. Reason number two why I think we need a sermon on this. We started this sermon series, Spiritual Disciplines, the first week of January. So many of you, you got fired up, you got psyched up, you got that rule of life worksheet, you got it out, you started filling it out, and you decided, okay, I'm going to read my Bible for this long. I'm going to even start fasting. I'm going to pray for this long. I'm going to take a regular Sabbath. You, you, You made your list of all of the habits you are going to walk in. Raise your hand if you did that, and if you just raise your hand raise your hand oh okay that's 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 my sermons are really hitting home guys come on but my point is this any progress you made a month has gone by and you probably are going I need a reset button I'm not I've kind of fallen off the tracks here and so here's what this sermon is this sermon really deals with three questions answers three questions one What is the fruit of our spiritual rhythms? Two, what are the barriers? What are the distractions we need to address in your spiritual rhythms? And three, what needs to be the ultimate aim of every spiritual rhythm you have? So what's the fruit? What's the distraction, the barrier? 
and what needs to be the ultimate aim of every spiritual rhythm. So this is kind of like a reset Sunday for this series. Are you ready? We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, one verse, guys. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Everybody say mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, like I said, this little passage here, I think it teaches us at least three things here that we'll hit on. Number one, the fruit of our spiritual rhythms, the distractions from our spiritual rhythms, and then the ultimate aim of every spiritual rhythm we ought to have. The fruit of our spiritual rhythm. Notice how this passage ends. It says that when you do this, When you are not conformed by the pattern of this world. When you renew your mind. Look what happens. You will be able to discern the will of God. How many of you want to know God's will for your life? Come on. Now, just let's be theological for just one moment. When we talk about God's will, there's really two categories or two understandings of God's will. You have God's sovereign will. And then you have God's commanded will. So God's commanded will speaks about God's will for the things that will happen in your life. You heard Corianne's story. What did she say at the end? All of everything that has happened to me. The stuff that I have seen as good and the stuff that I've seen as bad. God sovereignly made it happen. It is God's sovereign will that you are here this morning. It's God's sovereign will that you are watching online. It is God's sovereign will that Melissa and I got married. She had no choice in the matter, friends. It was God's sovereign will. God's commanded will, on the other hand, speaks of God's will in how you should live your life. So God's sovereign will is that Melissa and I would be husband and wife. It is God's commanded will that I love her as Christ loved the church and serve her the way that Christ serves us and to nourish her and to cherish her. And so God's sovereign will is all about God's will for the stuff that, frankly, you can't really count on. Are you going to get in a car accident today or not? Eh, I don't know. God's commanded will are the stuff that you can discern clearly, know and understand clearly because he gives it to us in the word of God. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, okay, if you, if you can avoid the distractions and you can hit the ultimate aim of every spiritual discipline, then you will be able to discern God's will for your life. And his will, it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. That's why I'm passionate about following Jesus. It's just better that way. It's good, it's perfect, it's pleasing. 
Now let's talk about the barrier. The barrier to spiritual rhythms. Let's go back to the start of this verse. Do not be conformed to this world. Everybody say world. So the NIV, I used to preach out of the NIV. The NIV translates this Greek word world. It's ion. It it, it translates the word ion as the pattern of this world, which is actually really helpful because that's what Paul means. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Our world has a pattern, does it not? Our world has a pattern. Our world has a culture, does it not? And the pattern of this world versus the pattern of the kingdom of God are completely opposite. Like I said, you want to know what the pattern of this world is? Watch the commercials or watch the half. I don't even know what the halftime show is. I can just promise you it has something to do with the pattern of this world. The commercials, pattern of this world. And if you're going to watch it with your kids, at least point that out and say, that, hey, son, that sweetheart, that's the pattern of this world. Tell, tell me, oh, well, dad, because it says that if I have money or that car, then I'll be happy. That's the pattern of this world. And what Paul says is, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. Do not be conformed. You might want to circle that word conformed. It's important. Notice that Paul, at least here, does not say, do not act like the world. He doesn't say that. He'll say that in other places. Do not be conformed to this world. What does that word conform mean? Well, he doesn't say act. Act has to do with actions and behavior. Conforming has to do with shaping, molding. Forming. And we all know this about ourselves. What we take in is shaping us and forming us. Is it not? We might not. Here's the thing. We might not see it in ourselves. But if you have kids, you see it immediately, don't you? My son spent about a week and my daughter spent about a week with their cousins. He's all into sports, big time football. He comes back from hanging out with his cousins. All he wants to do is talk about rocks and fossils and geo-somethings. And he's outside with big rocks, like throwing them to the ground and trying to crack them open. And he's telling me like, oh, this is the kind of rock that it is. And this is the kind of mineral. He was with his cousin for like five days. He's got a book that he ordered on Amazon of all the different rocks. And he's reading them and he's telling me things that I frankly don't even understand. How in the world did that happen? Yeah, it's real simple. He spent four days with his cousins and they love rocks and they were out breaking them and so on and so forth. Now, I'm thankful it was rocks and not a particular show. I'm thankful that it was rocks and not a particular video game. I was thankful that it was rocks and name those things. And we look at them and be like, yeah, we gotta, like, listen, we gotta be real careful with what our children watch and listen to. But what about you? Let's be real. What shows are you watching that is shaping and molding you? What podcasts what, what, what radio personalities? What, what social media interactions? 
Just be real, just stop and pause. Maybe you need to journal on this question later. What is shaping your thinking and your actions? Because something is, something is. So this is where I just wanna get real practical. Let's just, let's just talk about how much this right here is shaping and forming you. I'm, I'm going to withhold giving you all the statistics. I'm going to withhold going into talking about where did all of this political outrage come from? Here, right there. That's exactly where it came from. There's like this thing called the digital algorithm. And so literally everything that you read is for you. You ever wonder, like, why is everyone, like, totally agree with all these articles that come up on Facebook, like, totally align with my political standing? And I got this other friend who's like, they need to read this article. It's, it's because whether it's Facebook or whether it's good, I just go on and on. Bottom line is this. You're not reading the same articles as your friends because there's a digital algorithm that says, I want you to use this more and more and more and more. I want this to shape you, mold you. And so I'm going to give you all the stuff you want to read, all the things you want to like and thumbs up and all those other emojis you got there. So... Just rubber meets the road here. How can we make sure this phone, this social media, our TVs, our tablets, kids, I'm talking to you too. How do we make sure our tablets and the TV shows we watch don't become a distraction and don't shape us and mold us to the pattern of this world? Let me just list some things and there's probably 50 more. First, find your digital baseline, guys. Just figure out how much you're using social media. Your phone is able to tell you. Just go into the settings. If you don't know how to do it, I don't know, ask Micah, he knows everything. Uh, or look it up on, on Google. Mine shows up Sunday morning. Um, ironically, Sunday morning. And I was up 17%. Yeah. So just get a digital baseline. Actually count how many hours of TV you watch each day or each week. Just get a digital baseline. Second, get your rule of life out, okay? Remember this rule of life, that worksheet? Remember the rule of life is just basically asking you two questions. Who do you want to be and what kind of rhythms are you going to establish to get you there? And in the rule of life worksheet we gave you, you can find it on our website. Just go under um, um, church online, worship or discipleship guides, and you can see it in green. Click on it. And there's a whole portion where you can fill out your digital rule of life. And so here's some things you might have in it. One, create a digital rule of life. Two, consider fasting from social media consistently. One, one day a week. Um, a weekend a month, a week a year, a month a year, um, or just quit it wholesale for a season and just see what happens. Um, determine how much TV you will and won't watch. Just determine it. Personally and as a family, figure out that rule. 
As a family, this is huge, as a family. Families in here. We all have young kids that are not using their phones yet. Many of you. The way your kids see you use your phone is the way they will expect they will be able to use it once they get one in their hands. Right? So, create some rules for your family and yourself. Here's some rules. Keep the phone out of the bedroom. Set a curfew on your phone. Literally parent your phone. Treat it like a child. Okay? You're not allowed in my bedroom, kids. Um, you, you have a bedtime, kids. Um, don't sleep next to your phone. This is new for Melissa and I. Our phones, uh, one of them is in the bathroom. The other is downstairs getting charged. Um, uh, only check your email at certain times of day. So I don't know if you notice this. Some of you send me emails. I, I, I don't check my email starting Thursday, 4.30 on. Sometimes I'm able to get to it on Sunday. Usually I'm not able to get to it Monday late morning, early afternoon, because Monday's my sermon prep day. And then I check my email twice a day, morning, afternoon, depending on the day. Um, or it, it'll just, I just get so many emails, and I'm sure you do too. Um, keep the phone in a specific location when you're home, and not in your pocket. You're like, I'm going to keep it in my pocket. Don't. Um, Determine with your oh, determine with your kids right now when they will be able to get a phone and when they'll be able to use social media. And then just tell them, prep them for the next decade, okay? Or half a decade. So that they know they're not getting a phone till they drive. Guys, there was a day, remember this? Like you didn't have a phone on you when you drove, and we made it. Guys, seriously, we made it. And everybody else has a phone anyway, so you just look up and be like, hey, can I buy yours? Um, and then how about this? Determine how you can redeem your phone. Determine how you can redeem your social media. Determine how you can redeem the digital use, okay? So maybe you redeem it by your social media is going to be all about pointing people to Jesus, not yourself. Your social media is going to be all about building God's kingdom and not your kingdom, when you do watch a show, you know what you're going to do it as a family. You're going to, you know, pop some popcorn. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be fun. And we're going to do it together. But I think that we need to get really serious about how these things might be distracting us. I mean, just imagine if... We exchanged the amount of time. Like, I realize we've got to have a phone for work and email for work. But just all of that stuff that falls out of work, all of that digital consumption that you do outside of your job, if you just exchanged half of that time for spiritual rhythms, every single one of you would be able to read through the Bible in a year. Every single one of you would be able to memorize 100 verses. Every single one of you would be able to read one or two books a month. Every, you, you, it's amazing how much you would be able to grow spiritually. If you just take half that time. So find the digital baseline. So let's end here. The ultimate aim of spiritual rhythms. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There is so much here.
I want you to notice first that Paul be, Paul be, assumes we're being transformed. That verb, be transformed, it's present, ongoing. It's not like be transformed once and for all. No, 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 we're constantly growing in Christ, are we not? But notice where trans, transformation begins. Transformation begins in the mind. Not in your actions. It begins in your mind. Not in your emotions, in your mind. I, I think of Philippians 4, 8. Oh, what a, pa- what a convicting passage. Good glory. What does Paul say in Philippians 4, 8? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says, think. He doesn't say act. He says, think. Put these things in your mind. I remember my English teacher as a junior. She said to our class, she read this verse and said, The TV shows do you watch, does this fall under this category? That's before Jesus really radically turned around my life. Transformation begins in our minds, friends. And Paul says, we've got to renew our minds. I don't need to give an illustration. Every single morning you wake up and your mind needs some help, does it not? Your mind is prone to wander, to gossip, to lust, to pride, to arrogance. Our minds typically don't wander to the things of Christ. Our minds don't typically wander to the place of excellence and good and pure. So they need to be renewed. And and this is where I think we get to the essence and the aim of every spiritual discipline. They need to renew our minds. Every spiritual discipline needs to renew our minds. But, but what does that look like? The only other place in all of the Bible this word renew takes place is in Titus 3, 5 tells us a little bit about this renewal. It says, Jesus saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So this renewing that takes place in your life, spoiler alert, you don't do it, the Holy Spirit does. This renewing that takes place in your life, where you are renewed to think about what is pure, to think about what is holy, to think about what is excellent. You don't do it. The Spirit does. So how do we position ourselves for the Spirit to renew our Minds, Because remember, this, this is the ultimate aim of every spiritual discipline. You don't do spiritual disciplines. You don't do spiritual rhythms so you can check off the box. Ooh, I read my Bible 10 minutes. I prayed for five minutes. I took the Sabbath, all that. You aren't doing it to do it. This is not a day job, friends. 
You're doing it so that your mind can be renewed. That's the work of the Spirit. So, so okay, there's just one little layer we got to get under here. One last layer that we need to pull up. How, how do we position ourselves for the Spirit to renew our mind? Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed. That Greek word transformed, it also only shows up one other place in Paul's writings. Shows up two other places in the Gospels where Jesus is transfigured. But one other place in Paul's writings, and it's in 2 Corinthians 3, and this is where we will land. What a beautiful verse. Holy smokes. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. In other words, one little degree to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. This work comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, wait, 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 wait. It says there at the end that this work, this renewing work, it comes from the Holy Spirit. So back up a little bit, Zach. What, what are we supposed to do again? Here it is. Behold the glory of the Lord Jesus. Behold the glory, that is, the beauty of Jesus. The ultimate aim of every single one of our spiritual rhythms is that our minds would be renewed. And the way that the Spirit does this is by putting our eyes and our minds on the beauty of Jesus. That, that's why I got misty-eyed when Corianne told her story. What was she talking about? The beauty of Jesus? I don't know about you. Totally renewed my mind, my heart. This is the aim of every spiritual rhythm. Prayer, Bible reading, Sabbath, fasting. It is that we would behold that Jesus is everything. That we would behold that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. He has taken the punishment we deserve upon himself. He's made us children of the Father so that when you pray, you can say, Oh, Father, oh, oh Father, Heavenly Father, Every aim of our spiritual rhythms ought to be see the beauty of Jesus. And so here's how we're going to close. Our worship team is going to come up. And I hope and I pray that for the next two songs, you would close your eyes. You'd maybe raise your hands. Maybe you'd open them wide. And you would see and behold the glory of Jesus. And I promise you, when you really take in what Christ has done for you, you will just be renewed. I'm, I'm telling you, and if you're like, how do you describe it? It's the work of the Spirit. You really can't describe it. 
And for those of you who are here and those of you who maybe are watching online, you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Let today be the day where you just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I desire for you to be my Savior, my King. Consider doing that even now. Gracious Father, we can call you Father because your Son has made a way into the family. Father, you have appointed that your Spirit renews our hearts and renews our minds when we look to Jesus and we, we behold, we take hold of everything that he's done for us. As we worship now, I pray that every child, I pray that every adult, would lift their hands, open their hearts, and, and just take hold of how beautiful you are, Jesus. Amen.